All right, let's turn to 1 John. Well, since it's a short chapter, we've got to actually finish the chapter today. This is only our third week in 1 John, and already we're going to wrap up a whole chapter. Let's read together verses 6 through 10 from the New King James Version. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Does this sound familiar? We just sang that song. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here we have the Apostle John. One of his titles is the Apostle of Love. And we see a mix here of some rather stern warnings alongside of some very encouraging positives as well. And that's the balance of Scripture. That's the balance of God, the Spirit of God. Some people like to hear just the warm, fuzzy parts. But the warm, fuzzy parts won't get us to the place spiritually that we need to be. We need the milk of the Word and we need the meat of the Word, right? Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to bless this time in your Word once again. Open up your Scriptures to us. Enlighten us and illuminate us today. As we study this passage together, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Something to make note of in these five verses. Every one of these verses opens up with the phrase, If we... If we. And that's really a, it's only two words, but they're very important because you see, God's already done his part, right? He created all things. He gave us life. He created us in his image. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven and receive the precious gift of eternal life. God has done his part. And it's sad when people kind of fall into this mode and this mentality going through life that they're just propelled by their circumstances. I'm just a victim of circumstance. That's something Satan would like to inculcate into the heart and mind of every human being. And depending upon your experiences growing up, you can certainly grow up with that attitude and that mentality. I had a good friend since my early teens and we actually played music together both in the secular world and the Christian world it was amazing to see how God worked all that out and how many people that I knew in my earlier life who went on to become believers serve God and again that was a time when there was a real move of the Spirit of God called the Jesus movement at any rate and by the way from what I've been seeing lately with some of these more popular Christian groups today, I honestly believe we're in the midst of a fake Jesus movement. We're in the midst of a false Jesus movement. doesn't look like the real Jesus movement at all. You probably all know about Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley. He has five campuses with 32,000 people. I told you recently that he told his congregation Christians don't need to study the Old Testament. Uh, Now he's come out and said Christians don't need to follow the Ten Commandments. 
but he has 32,000 people. And when you watch some of these gatherings and rallies and concerts and so forth, it's fake. It's a fake Jesus movement. Trust me, believe me, I'm telling you the truth. And the Bible does speak of a great falling away in the last days. Anyway, my buddy, even after he got right with the Lord, he grew up in the Lutheran church. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. We both came to Christ during that Jesus movement time. But he always kind of had, even before he was walking with the Lord, from my earliest relationship with him, and not only him, it, just, it was something that penetrated his whole family there was this, this, the world is out to get me mentality. Everybody's out to get me. Now again, in 2018, it's getting easier and easier to believe that. But I grew up, fortunately, in a very positive household, very encouraging, uplifting, growing up believing that I could be or do anything I wanted to be or do. But my friend, sadly, didn't grow up in that environment. And so when he really, even in the midst of his strongest period of his walk with the Lord, he was always kind of melancholy, kind of down, discouraged, kind of wanting to throw in the towel kind of a thing. But this if we is very important because we are not, we don't have to be victims of our circumstances. I would say, apart from Christ, yes, you could make that case. But when you give your life to Christ, when you become a follower of Christ, you are no longer a victim. You are now a victor. You have victory in Jesus Christ. But we, if we rather. So the, the onus is upon us. God's done his part. We have to make the right choices, the right decisions. And when we do, God will empower us and enable us by his Holy Spirit to follow through on those choices. But let's get into this, verse 6. If we claim, or if we say, Another translation says claim. If we say or claim to have fellowship with him. Now remember, John has already set forth the basis for our fellowship with God and his children back in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So our fellowship with God depends upon our fully embracing the testimony of John and the other apostles. We've seen him. We've heard him. We bear witness. We were there. Our fellowship with God, again, depends upon us fully embracing this testimony. Anyone, as we know, can claim to have fellowship with God. If we say or claim that we have fellowship with him, and here's the caveat, and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. So you can't walk in darkness and truly have fellowship with God. To walk in darkness is to practice, again, practice. When you practice something, you do it over and over again, right? That's the idea. Johnny, go practice your piano. Bobby, go practice your guitar. Whatever it is. If you're inclined towards woodworking, model building, any, anything that involves skill, then the precursor or prerequisite is practice, right? To walk in darkness is to practice a lifestyle 
of blatant, deliberate disobedience to the truth of God's word. That's what it means. Because we sang that song today. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So to walk in darkness means you're not utilizing that light, that lamp of God's word to light your way. And it's the exact opposite of walking in the truth. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, our actions, how we live, are a much truer indicator of who and what we are than our words. Why would anyone, this, here's an interesting thought, as we explore this issue of light and darkness, why would anyone prefer darkness? Darkness is cold, it's distant, you can't see well. Why would they, anyone prefer darkness to light? Light has warmth, it's bright, it gives you clear vision, you can see where you're going. Why would anyone prefer darkness? Well, Jesus tells us, John 3, 19. This is the condemnation or verdict that the light has come into the world, being Jesus, and men, here it is, loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And light exposes that which is done under the cover of darkness, does it not? John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, when a believer or so-called believer, begins to drift away. We talked about this last week. The farther we get away from him, the dimmer our light becomes because our light is simply a reflection of his light. They begin to disappear from church. You don't, they don't show up for Koinonia group or women's Bible study or men's prayer or what have you. Why? Because they know they're walking in darkness and they don't want that to be exposed. John 12, 46 I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide or dwell or live in darkness. So again, John is the apostle of love. He's the apostle of truth. But he gives us the whole picture. The good and the bad. The good, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But if we claim to have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, if this in fact is true, that someone is claiming to be in fellowship with God but is walking in darkness, John says we lie and do not practice the truth. If that's true, I'd say that's a real big problem, wouldn't you? But in the very next verse, John gives us the answer. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. See, if we, there it is again, if we, we have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. We don't have to stay in the darkness. We talked about what it looks like to walk in darkness. To walk in the light means to live in obedience to God's commandments which have been clearly delineated for us in his word. See, it's unfortunate that so many people equate godliness, 
holiness, spirituality with feelings. Therefore, if I can just trump up enough, pardon the expression, trump up enough good feelings, enough enthusiasm, enough excitement, enough emotional high, then I'll be okay. But that's not walking in the light is all about. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. We fix our eyes on that which is not seen. Walking in the light is to live in obedience to God's commandments, which Andy Stanley says you don't have to follow. That's a problem, isn't it? Psalms 119.105, we sang it this morning. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, we live in a world of darkness, do we not? Because Satan is the prince of this world, and we've already seen that if you're not in the light, you're in the darkness, and that would mean the majority of people in this world are going through life in the darkness. So if we're encompassed by darkness all around, if we're going to be able to see our way clear to move forward in this life, we need the light, we need the lamp, we need God's Word. It's not about warm, fuzzy feelings. It's about truth. And again, we know that it's more than that because there are a lot of people who know scriptures, there are a lot of people who quote scriptures, there are a lot of people who read the Bible, and they have no relationship with God. And so for them, they're merely words on a page. It's when we're born again by the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit lives in us that His Word becomes alive to us. And that's when it becomes a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If we walk in the light, how? As He is in the light. We learned last week that God is pure light. And then we know from all of our studies in God's Word that Jesus is God, yes? Amen. If God is pure light, then Jesus is pure light. And having said that, He also walks in total, absolute, 100% obedience to the Father. He said, I came not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Remember in the Garden of Eden, our Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, Jesus says to the Father. He came in absolute obedience to the Father. In fact, right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting for the Father to give him the word to call us up to meet him in the air. It will be the Father who will speak that word to the Son. Now is the time. Call your people. Gather your people unto yourself. And so even as he is God, he's co-equal with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, he is also in submission to the Father. So to walk in the light as Jesus in the light is to walk in absolute obedience to God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's no problem. That was a joke. Walking in absolute obedience to God is a challenge, is it not? In fact, from our human, mortal, imperfect perspective, it's all but impossible for us in this life. However, the closer we stick to Jesus and the more we walk in obedience to his word, the more in the light we will be. And that's why it's unfortunate that so many believers take such a casual approach 
to the feeding upon the Word of God, studying the Word of God, fellowshipping with other believers, all the things that help us stay in the light. To think that you can just totally disregard the disciplines of the Christian life. That's where the word disciple comes from, by the way. Discipline. Again, it's not about feelings, is it? If we only read our Bibles when we felt like it, we wouldn't read them very often. If we only prayed when we felt like it, most people only pray when they're in trouble. And most people try to avoid getting into trouble, which means they don't pray very often. Only when there's an emergency, right? And yet, if we want to walk in the light as He is in the light, that means walking in discipline. The Apostles' Doctrine, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and prayer, as we read about in the book of Acts. And by the way, as I said, this has all been impossible to walk in absolute obedience to God. However, thankfully, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Again, if we, if we choose to embrace Him, to receive Him, to allow Him to work in our lives, John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, do a Holy Ghost dance. If you love me, jump over the chair in front of you. Right? If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that's no fun. I thought Christianity was supposed to be fun. Well, there's a difference between being filled with joy and having fun. Although I believe with all of my heart, in spite of all the trials and tribulations, Serving God really is fun because there's no negative side effects like drugs and alcohol and other things. There's no negative side effects from serving God. There might be some persecution. There might be some rejection. But I personally think it is a lot of fun to serve God. But even when there's, you're not having fun, you can still have joy because joy is not affected by your circumstances. So I guess that's one of the ways we can tell if we really have joy, right? If every time we encounter a negative situation, if we get all bummed out, we probably don't have a lot of God's joy working in our heart at that moment. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. How, many how often do you think about the fact that Jesus is praying for you? Now, it's a blessing when other people pray for us, and it's important that we pray for one another. But do you realize that Jesus is actually up there praying for you? That's amazing, and it's awesome. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And sometimes you'll get these uh, extreme, radical, you know, I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That and that is an official Calvary Chapel doctrine. But sometimes you get these wild, crazy people like Benny Hinn and different ones. They'll pray for somebody to be filled with the Spirit when they don't even know if they're saved or not. And the people will act like something happened. But it says here, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you receive Christ. And you're born again by the Spirit of God. Because it neither sees Him or knows Him. The world does not see Him or know Him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
That's the promise of the Holy Spirit from Jesus himself. And thankfully, though we are called to do what is impossible through our own strength, through our own ability, and that is to walk in absolute obedience to God, to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, if we choose to do the right thing, the right things, he will help us. If we. The ball's in our court. And that's why so many people are off base when they try to blame God for the problems in their lives. Blame God for the bad things that happen. The Bible clearly says that bad things will happen to both bad people and good people. And by the way, there really aren't any good people. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world and even when we follow God and serve God with all of our heart, bad things are still going to happen, but it's not God's fault. And we have a choice on how we react and how we respond to those situations. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's the same word we looked at last week, koinonian or koinonia, which means communion. It means to have all things in common. We will have close relationship with our fellow believers if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So when you see all kinds of turmoil and conflict and division between believers, somebody ain't walking in the light. Because if we are, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All. Now, the blood of Jesus was and is sufficient to pay the price for the sins of every human being who has ever lived or ever will live upon this earth. But its cleansing power is only effective for those who choose to be washed in the blood by walking in the truth. Now when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven, we are washed, we are cleansed. But this speaks of a necessity, a need for an ongoing cleansing. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, there are three things that result from walking in the light. One, we have fellowship with God. Two, we have fellowship with other believers. And three, we have a continual cleansing from sin because even after we get saved, sometimes, unfortunately, we still sin, don't we? You see, as we walk in the light, this brings to light other sins that need to be cleansed. Verse 8, now this is where John starts to get a little heavier. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I'm not sure you'll hear many of these guys like Andy Stanley teaching this verse. Because it's negative. It offends people, it upsets people. Is that like that Spirit in the Sky song from the 60s? going up to the spirit in the sky, but he was a, a non-believer, the guy that wrote the song. He was Jewish, non-believer. And one of the lines in the song says, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned. Who are you kidding? <laughs> it was one of those feel-good pseudo-Christian songs that hit the public radio back in the 60s. 
And again, a lot of churches today don't want to talk about sin, repentance, confession, and all that stuff because it offends people. People don't want to be told that they're sinners. Just like the person who has cancer doesn't want to be told that they have cancer. But if you're not told, then you can't get the proper treatment and you're probably going to die, right? You need to be told, you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a remedy. Only one. The blood of Christ. If we claim to be without sin, or if we say we have no sin, we have a sin nature, folks. It's a proclivity or propensity towards sin. And yet you'll find many people saying things like, well, I'm basically a good person. Why are you telling me a sinner? I'm not bad. Oh, really? So you are perfect then? Well, no. Nobody is. Exactly. I try hard and do the best I can. Well, give you a brownie button. Right? Surely God will accept me. Well, that might be your theology, but that's not God's theology. He will accept you if you accept Him. And see, one of the characteristics of a person who is walking in the truth is that he or she is aware of and acknowledges their sinfulness. Again, I've quoted this several times. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what happens if we say we have no sin? Well, first of all, John says we deceive ourselves. And self-deception... Now, there are magicians, illusionists, right, sleight of hand, all that, that through practice, they develop these skills whereby they are able to deceive you. And there are those in pulpits doing the same thing, by the way. But self-deception is the scariest and most dangerous type of deception that there is. Self-deception. Millions upon millions of people who have convinced themselves that they're okay. Wasn't there a famous book, I'm okay, you're okay? That's kind of like, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. And those people will spend eternity in hell. Oh, that's another word we're not supposed to say in church anymore. Hell. In fact, what was that guy's name? Rob Bell. Wrote a book telling people, I can't remember the title of the book, but he was in that group with Mark Driscoll and Mark Bell and all the emergent guys. He wrote a book that says everybody gets to go to heaven. No matter what you believe or don't believe. Isn't that nice? Poor Jesus. Why did he do all, go through all that? That was so dumb of him to go through all that pain and torment and torture when he didn't need to because we all get to go to heaven anyway. Do you see how blasphemous that teaching is? And yet millions of people have bought into it. But I'm a bad guy because I mentioned it. There you go. So, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we've convinced ourselves that we're just fine the way we are, without God, without the blood of Christ, the truth cannot possibly be in us because Jesus is the truth and He is light. Verse 9, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I pray it regularly. Because it is the hope that I cling 
to and hold on to because I know that I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm born again. But I'm not perfect yet. And I won't be till I see Jesus face to face. If we, if, here's, if we again, and I think here's another unfortunate thing. I think a lot of people go through life, believers, thinking, well, I already got saved. I already accepted Christ. I already confessed my sins and asked him to forgive me. I don't need to do that anymore, do I? No, I don't need to do that. Well, that would only be true if once you got saved, you never, ever sinned again. How many here can say, I've never, ever sinned since I got saved? So, we need to do this. And it's an ongoing thing. And again, this is what I cling to because I know I'm rotten. Well, brother, where's your faith? You're a king's kid. You're a child of God. What are you doing saying you're a sinner? You're a saint. I'm both. We live this life in a duality. We have a dual nature. We have the new man. We have the old man. They're going to fight each other till we see Jesus face to face. Hopefully the new man wins more than he loses. And again, that has to do with walking in the light. If we confess our sins, I don't need to do that. God knows it. Oh, you're going to rewrite the Bible then? You're going to write your version? A lot of people have. The massage. I guess we could also call it the massacre. The new driveling translation. I know some of you probably have that. It's really not as bad as the massage. And sometimes it's good for a reference point. I don't recommend any of these newer translations for your primary study Bible. But they do help help us understand certain passages better. We can cross-reference through multiple translations, but some of them, like the message, are just total garbage. Filled with New Age terminology. They're coming out with general neutral, neutral versions and so forth. Just more deception being foisted upon us. We've got to be careful. If we confess our sins. You know what confess means? It means to agree with God. You know, with the, if you're hauled into the police station and they've got you in that room with the big lamp and we know you did it. Come on, confess. Well, when you confess, you're agreeing with your interrogator, right? Oh, yeah, I, I confess, I did it. When you confess to God, you're agreeing because what does God say? You're a sinner. All have sinned. All means you. You're included in all. I'm included in all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, you're right. I confess I am a sinner. It means you agree with God. Yes, Lord, you're right. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And again, when we talk about practicing regular confession, probably daily confession, then we're talking about specifics. When you first come to Christ, you got so many sins built up, it would be hard to name them all individually, wouldn't it? So thankfully, I think he kind of accepts a big sin dump. Lord, I've sinned so many times, I, can't, I, I don't, can't even recall them all, but I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. But as we go through life now as believers, 
And David prayed, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, before you take communion, let a man first examine himself. How do you do that? You need the Holy Spirit's help. Because what we're really good at is covering up our sin. What the Holy Spirit's really good at is revealing it. When we examine ourselves, we're giving God permission to search our hearts. Lord, show me, please. There's probably things there that I've buried. But see how much easier it is if we do it every day? Then we might only have a few dozen to deal with. But if we let it build up over a long period of time, it's harder and harder to catch up. So it's a good idea to do it every day. If we confess our sins, if he's faithful and just to forgive us. You see, the only sin that remains unforgiven or hanging in limbo or however you want to look at it is the one that is not confessed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that's a golden verse to me. I don't know what I'd do without that verse. And it all rests on him. All we have to do is confess. All we have to do is admit it. Keep in mind, John is writing here to believers. He's not writing to non-believers. He's not talking about an initial conversion experience. He's talking about how to walk in the light, how to stay in fellowship with God and with your fellow believers. So the understanding here, since John is writing to believers, is that even as believers, we will continue to struggle with sin. Earlier we talked about walking in the darkness is to practice evil. To practice evil deeds, which means you do it over and over again. There's no scripture promising that we as believers here on earth in our mortal bodies will become totally sinless. That's why John's writing this, because we may not practice sin, because practicing sin is to walk in darkness, and John says, then the truth isn't in you. But we will continue to struggle with sin, and therefore we will need to live a lifestyle, since we cannot live a lifestyle of perfection here and now, then we will need to live a lifestyle of confession and repentance. To confess is to agree with God. To repent is to turn and go the other way. And here's the problem. And we'll get to this in a moment. The scriptures clearly teach that God's forgiveness, mercy, grace is unlimited. But the problem is if we confess but we don't repent, we find ourselves going back time and time again asking forgiveness for the same thing that that's possible because there are some things that people really struggle with in this life. We talk about addictions and so forth. The problem does not lie with the fact that God will not forgive you. He will forgive you over and over and over again. The problem is that the enemy begins to use that against you. And he says, really? You're going back to God again for the same old thing? You really think he's going to forgive you this time? You think God's fed up with you? Because I do, says the devil. God's fed up with you. 
Don't even bother to go and confess again because you're just going to blow it again. You're just going to do it again and that heaps condemnation on you. And we're told in the book of Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. The devil condemns. That's why it's so important to walk in the light because as we distance ourselves from God and we find ourselves trapped in certain sins and we repeat them over and over again, it's some point you feel like, I just can't ask him to forgive me again. Nothing's changing. I'm not getting any better. I'm not any different. God won't forgive me this time. That's a lie. But you see what happens when you let that pattern begin to develop and build up in your life? And by the way, if that's you today, this is a good time to stop it. Ask God to stop that pattern. Stop that repetitive pattern get set free today. Jesus said he came to set the captives free. If you're in bondage to sin, if you're captive to sin, even though you are a child of God, certainly if you're not a child of God, you need to become one, but you can be a child of God and still get trapped in bondage. But Jesus is the bondage breaker. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. You can take it to the bank. He will never turn you away. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. God is faithful, by the way, to those who are his own. If you want to experience God's faithfulness in your life, you need to become a child of God. You need to receive Christ. You need to be born again. 2 Timothy 2.13. This is another scripture that I really love. If we are faithless, not unfaithful, but faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does that mean? That means if you're a born-again child of God, he lives in you, and to deny you would be to deny himself. If we're faithless, he, rem faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And quite often as believers, we sin not out of blatant disobedience. Listen to this now. I think this is a really valuable truth. We don't sin out of blatant disobedience, but out of faithlessness. We doubt that God can or will work things out for us the way we think they should work out. We're not trusting Him as we should. So we take control of our situation in an attempt to help God out. You know what I'm talking about? That's what happens when we are faithless. We take things out of God's hands into our own hands and that's when we really get into trouble. But since He lives in us, even then He will not disown us. Some more good news. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God is just. He is perfect in all of His ways. And you see, justice, God's justice requires that sin must be paid for. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. God's justice says, see, unlike our present legal and judicial system, which once upon a time was based upon the Word of God, and it worked. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life, Right? Do the crime, do the time, all that. It works. Well, God never changes. He's always been just. He always will be just. Therefore, 
people have to be held accountable for their actions. But the problem there is, if people are held accountable for their actions, that means they wind up in hell. And that's a problem because God doesn't want us there. The Bible says he created hell for the devil and his angels, not for us. God never sends anybody to hell. People send themselves by rejecting his offer of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So because God didn't want anybody to go to hell, and yet his justice requires that people must go there because of their sinfulness, he made a way for us not to go there by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. So Jesus took our death sentence upon himself. Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He is faithful and just. The good news is that God's justice also dictates that Christ's death on the cross was and is sufficient to pay the price for the sins of the entire human race. But again, as I said earlier, it only works for those who accept it. God's just nature dictates, even as his just nature dictates that he must punish sin, he must punish wickedness, he must punish evil, but that same just nature dictates that he must extend forgiveness, grace, and mercy to those who were genuinely broken and repentant before him. Remember King David? I'm sure many people are baffled by what we read about David in the Old Testament. I mean, we, we, there's a lot of good things. We read that David was a man after God's own heart, but we also read that he was a murderer and an adulterer. Now, if you were God or I were God, thank God we're not, we'd probably toast that guy, right? But you see... David was broken and repentant before God. He did confess his sins before God. That didn't mean all of his troubles went away. He had some troubles. But he retained his relationship with God and he even retained his promise from God that his descendants would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. And guess who the fulfillment of that promise is? Jesus Christ. Jesus is a descendant of David. And, you know, I think some people are probably really struggle with that whole idea that David's called a man after God's own heart. David wasn't called a man after God's own heart because he was perfect. David was called, a, he was a man after God's own heart because he was repentant. He was broken when he sinned, broken before God. Then there was Peter. Peter's another one, a bit of an enigma. Right? One moment, this dynamic, powerful man of God. The next moment, a babbling idiot. I'm sure Peter wouldn't be offended by me saying that. He probably would agree, as we read about him in the Scriptures. And, of course, the ultimate failure was when he denied the Lord three times on the night of Christ's trial, at the very moment when he was challenged, by those people in the courtyard. Hey, you're one of those guys, aren't you? You're a follower of Jesus. I don't know the guy. Wow. How humiliating, how embarrassed, how ashamed you would be. And yet, though, Peter, the other guys ran off altogether. 
So you've got to give Peter some credit for sticking around. But he denied the Lord three times, and yet he went on to become a pillar of the New Testament church, arguably the leader of the early church, not the first pope, as some would say. I'm sure he probably wouldn't even want that title. But these men are examples of exactly what we're reading about here. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter said to him, interestingly, Peter's the one asking this question. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm doing pretty good, aren't I, Lord? I'm really growing in the Lord, Lord. I'm ready to forgive a guy seven times, aren't I, spiritual? After all, seven's the number of perfection and completion, right, Lord? Now, on the eighth time, I'm going to whip his you-know-what. I started to say rear, which wouldn't have been bad, really, whip his rear, but I guess you-know-what's even more gentle, but unless you don't know what, then it would be his rear. <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now that's 490, but that's not what it means in the Hebrew idiom. It means an infinite number. 70 times seven is symbolic for an infinite number. No matter how many times your brother sins against you, you should forgive him. And what Jesus is really telling Peter is that's how much I forgive. 70 times seven, infinitely. You can never sin so many times that I will no longer forgive you. Are you encouraged by that? Now again, that doesn't mean, okay, let's go sin like the devil. (laughs) But it's good to know because we do stumble. James says we all stumble in many ways. Right? The devil would like to condemn you, discourage you, convince you that it's all over for you. Maybe you got saved once upon a time, but you've gone too far now and you might as well hang it up. These are the verses that give us the strength to go on. These words are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is God's heart regarding forgiveness. And by the way, we're expected to practice the same forgiveness towards one another. That'll tell you real quick how far we fall short, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, how many believers are going through life with all kinds of bitterness, resentment, offense? And the sad part is it hurts you as much or more than anybody else. And it's not the way God wants us to live. It's not walking in the light, by the way. It's funny. I kind of get a kick out of it, really. So many times people come up to me and they say, I want to tell you, I'm just really sorry for this thing or that thing that I did or said. And I go, I don't even remember it. And I'm not, the, I'm not this awesome person, but thank God I've just learned to live my life that way. I just don't dwell on this stuff. I move on. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do them any good. And oftentimes they're surprised because to them it was a big deal. Man, that was really, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I go, you know what? It's already forgotten. It's a great way to live. God can help you do that. He's helped me do it. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've forgotten every bad thing that ever happened. (laughs) I can't say that there's no names that don't pop into my mind from time to time. (laughs) 
But by and large, by and large, I do live that way, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And don't ask me for any names, because I won't give them. Okay, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, and I love this part, from all unrighteousness. And by the way, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're not talking about salvation here. This is not the initial born-again experience. This is John's writing to believers how to help us continue to walk in the light. And I liken this unto the foot washing that Jesus did with his disciples at the Last Supper. Let's look at that for a moment. Remember, Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist. He's basically in his ancient Israeli Holy Ghost boxers. He's got a towel around his waist. It's all men in the room. Ladies, don't freak out. Peter said, now when it gets, comes to Peter, Jesus is going around washing all the feet, no problem. Peter, uh-oh, Peter said to him, this is before Peter denied the Lord, still thinks he's hot stuff. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, I'm too spiritual. Lord, I'm not going to let you do that. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Ooh, not seeker friendly. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only. Don't you love the way Peter just shifts gears? Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter might have been rash, impetuous, but he knew where he needed to be. Lord, where else should we go? You have the words of life. Okay, well, if I can't have any part in you, then wash it all. One extreme to the other. That was Peter, boy. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Bathed means saved. Peter was already saved. He'd already had a divine revelation concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Peter was saved. He'd accepted Christ as his Moshiach, his, his Savior. He who is bathed, Peter, you're already one of mine. You don't need to be bathed. You need only to wash your feet. But is completely clean. In other words, Peter had been cleansed initially of his sins through faith in Christ, even though Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet and risen from the dead. Because we're saved by faith, by grace, through faith. And you are clean. But is completely clean. You are clean. You've been bathed. You've been saved. You just need your feet washed. But not all of you. Who was he talking about? Judas. There was one guy in the twelve who was not bathed. And that explains his actions. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is that even once you're saved, you're born again, you're filled with the Spirit, you're a child of God, when you walk through this life, your spiritual feet get dirty, do they not? Man, there's grit and dirt and grime and crud everywhere, right? And so you need to go to Jesus daily for that foot washing, you see? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Verse 10, our last verse, coming in the home stretch. If, here it is again, if we say or claim that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And I think, again, sadly, there are some self-deceived people out there that think now that they're Christians, they're perfect. And the way they accomplish that is they project their sins onto everybody else. If we say or claim that we've not sinned, that we've not committed sin, sinful acts, folks, the fact that we possess a sin nature guarantees that we will act out in, a, in sinful ways. See, some people come into a church and they think, well, looking for a home church, feels pretty good here, like the vibe. And then the first time somebody acts out, oh, I'm out of here, forget that. So you're going to go to the next place until somebody acts out there, right? Because, hey, we all have a sin nature. You can't find a church with perfect people. And if you do, they say you shouldn't go there because <laughs> you will ruin it. Thank you. Laughter makes the heart glad. <laughs> the fact that we possess a sin nature guarantees we will act out in sinful ways. Get used to it. Get over it. So-and-so didn't smile at me today. So-and-so didn't hug me. They didn't shake my hand. Blah, 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 blah. Really? Are we just a bunch of babies here? Or are we adults in the Lord? Honestly, sometimes the kids act more holy than we do. That's why Jesus said you've got to become like one of them if you want to see the kingdom. Mark 3.28 Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they may utter. Wow, that's it. Praise God. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. How many people have gone through this life thinking, oh no, I think I might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to hell. Pastor Chuck set me right on this. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is simply denying Christ even unto death because the Holy Spirit it brings the truth. He speaks the truth to your heart and mind and he tells you that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world. You need to confess your sins. You need to repent. You need to invite Christ into your life. You need to be born again. And when you reject that, you're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. It's not something like, oh, he spoke in tongues, and tongues is of the devil. There are many persuasions within the church, and that's what some people think. They would be wrong. Although there are counterfeits of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Did you know Mormons speak in tongues? I don't think those are the real deal. That doesn't mean all tongues are of the devil. But if you say somebody who speaks in tongues is of the devil, that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blas Oh, you said Benny Hinn is a charlatan. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's going to take his Holy Ghost shotgun and shoot you. He said that before. He wanted to get his Holy Ghost shotgun and take out some people who were criticizing him come and get me but that's not the blasphemy of the holy spirit the blasphemy of the holy spirit is calling the holy spirit a liar when he says that jesus is lord you see how that works so be encouraged you haven't blasphemed the holy spirit
And by the way, if you have, it's not too late. You're still breathing. You can repent right here today. We make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us, has no place in our lives. God's word is truth. If the truth dwells in us, we cannot possibly call God a liar. John 17, 17. Fathers, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart by your truth. Romans 3, 3 and 4. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Instead, we live in a world today where they say God's a liar and every man has his own truth. That's not the way it is, folks. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Can you believe people actually try to judge God? Good luck on that one. Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's another reason why we need to be in the word, folks. Walking in the light, because the more God's word is hidden in our hearts, the less likely we are to sin. Colossians 3.16, this is our last verse today. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we know if the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly? I believe it's when we find that we're daily practicing confession, agreeing with God, daily seeking His grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness because we know that He is faithful and just. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. It's just so rich. Coming from the beloved John the Apostle, the Apostle of love, the Apostle of truth, the Apostle of light, Father, we pray that you'd cause these truths to penetrate deep within our hearts and minds. Lord, that we could meditate upon these things, apply them to our lives. Lord, we truly do desire to walk in the light as you are in the light. And we thank you that as a result, we'll have fellowship with you. We'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.